the Beatles had this chant, John, Paul and George, and probably then Stuart and Pete, had this chant, when things weren't going well, which in their world wasn't very often because mostly it was an upward trajectory, but nonetheless, sometimes you know, they would have a bad night or the gig would, you know, didn't work properly or the amps broke or whatever. I say, where are we going, fellas? And they'd go, to the top, Johnny. And I say, where's that, fellas? And they say, to the topmost of the poppermost. And I say, right. And we'd all sort of cheer up. Nothing's gonna stop us now, lads. We're going straight to the top. The topmost of the poppermost. <laughs> Welcome to This Is Unique, Side C. I don't know if we're going to have a Side D. Maybe we'll throw some outtakes on there and call it an Apple Jam. Or fly on the wall. <laughs> I'm Ed Chin. I'm Kid O'Toole. And I'm Martin Quibell. All right, so we left off at the week of October the 19th. As a reminder, we're going through the cash box charts. If you haven't listened to Side B, give it a listen. There's a lot of songs that we thought were fair to middling, but we have a nice section on the American Beatles. Yes, indeed. You will also learn about what efing is, so you do need to listen to that episode if you've ever wondered what efing means. Or Alvin of Alvin and the Chipmunks, Dave Seville <laughs> doing some efing himself. And I know that sounds kind of dirty, but it isn't. You'll have to listen. All right, so we are at the week of October the 19th. We start at number 85 with a classic song from Marvin Gaye, Can I Get a Witness? I love this song. This is one of the best of the Motown years by one of the best singers. Composed by the great trio Holland, Dozier, Holland. Composed many of Supreme's greatest hits and, and many others. And it's pretty amazing that when Marvin Gaye went in to record this, Eddie Holland wanted to go over the song with him and just went over the song once with him and Marvin Gaye said, okay, I'm fine. And cut it in one take. One take. One take. Isn't that incredible? And that's just how good he was. Eddie Holland later said Marvin Gaye was one of the most versatile vocalists or actually the most versatile vocalist he ever worked with. And singing back up on the track is the Supremes. And that was very common at the time. They would just pull in, in a way, whoever was around, actually, you know, Temptation Supremes, sing back up on this. So that was very common. And they were quite willing to do so. It's not like, give me more money. It's like, 
Okay, sure, whatever. Yeah, that's yeah, cool. Absolutely. I mean, and they've got Olandosia Oland singing backup vocals as well. Yes, that's right. They were singing as well, and of course, you get the incredible Funk Brothers on this, including Earl Van Dyke, who was the pianist. You get that great kind of gospel style piano on there. I mean, it just doesn't get any better than this. But you've also got an absolute class act on the tenor sax on this as well, Hank Cosby. Oh, yes. Hank Cosby, who was also one of the top songwriters and Stevie Wonder's mentor. And so, yep, you get a great sax from him. As I said, it doesn't get any better. And of course, Marvin Gaye's pro performance and gospel influenced as well. At number 87, Witchcraft by Elvis Presley, the flip of Bossa Nova Baby, which we covered all the way back in side A, <laughs> where it appears on the British charts. Oh, poor Elvis. <laughs> John Lennon's yeah. right. He sounds like Bing Crosby here. <laughs> oh, it's better than the A side. Mm-hmm. Marginally. Yeah. Marginally, yeah. It hurts to know that she don't feel the same. My head is because I wasn't familiar with this one. And at first I thought it was witchcraft as, you know, when I saw the title, as in the standard. But no, this is a cover of the R&B 1955 hit for the Spiders. And I listened to that and I have to say, I think I like the Spiders version better. Oh, much better. I mean, Elvis just murders it. You know, Elvis's version, it's sped up too fast. And if you go look up the Spiders version, I think you'll agree. It hurts to know that she don't feel the same. My head is spinning version is not a great record but it's a good record yeah exactly i'm not saying it's it's, an all-time classic it's fairly common r&b i would say Mm -hmm. elvis's version just speeds it up and obviously it's a lot rockier and and all but it just yeah i mean i just think it kind of massacres the (laughs) elvis's version is just so lifeless Apologies to Elvis Presley fans. Apologies, Elvis. We love Elvis. This is a perfect example of post-army Elvis. Yeah, hate to say it. The song's writer, Dave Bartholomew, or one of the writers, as he was. I mean, he was a frequent co-writer with Fats Domino because he co-wrote the classics I'm Walking and Ain't That a Shame. Oh, yeah. I mean, he was an incredible songwriter. I don't know why this was chosen for Elvis to cover, but it just doesn't work. Now, since you did bring it up, I will mention YouTube clip for us of Elvis and Frank together from 1960, right after he got out of the army. That's actually really pretty brilliant. 
Yeah, it's very cool. That's That was the wrong witchcraft, but it's still really cool to watch. It's a special Elvis and Frank Sinatra. And of course, that's particularly interesting to watch since, of, of course, Frank famously hated rock and roll. And so it's really cool to see the two of them singing. And it's kind of a medley that Frank sings of Elvis's hits. They're taking on each other's songs and Elvis is singing the original witchcraft. And it's really fun to, to see them perform together. And Elvis can hold his own. He could, uh, absolutely. Uh, uh, you do witchcraft, okay? Then I'll do one of the other ones. Okay, hey, Nelson? We work in the same way, only in different areas. Love me tender, love me sweet. Never let me go You have made my life complete And I love you so Those fingers in my hair I come here to stare That strips my conscience bare It's foolish Love me tender, love me true All my dreams fulfilled Darling, I love you, and I always will. It's such an ancient pitch. What a switch. Cause there's no nicer witch than witchcraft. I love you, and I always will. pretty. <laughs> and I always will. All right, at number 91, Gotta Travel On by Timmy Euro. I stayed around with all kinds of people. All the people that were wrong and I guess I better travel I know I better travel travel on you bought up the original record by Billy Grammer which is a better record to my mind I sure been police right after me right after me is coming after I think what it is is Timmy Euro, she had an incredible voice. I mean, no doubt about it. I just didn't think it worked on this song. I just thought this one was kind of a mismatch. Musically, um, it's taken the life out of what was a pretty decent fast rocker. Mm -hmm. I just wasn't crazy about her approach. You know, I, as I said, I think it was just a mismatch. Because, boy, did she have an incredible... I mean, she was considered one of the early blue-eyed soul stylists of the rock era and had a number of hits, the biggest one being a song called Hurt from 1961. And then uh, another one was Smile from 1962. And I think that received a Grammy nomination 
and was even nominated for Best New Artist on the Grammy in uh, 1961. But I just think that this remake just didn't really work. Because, yeah, when you hear the original, the country, Billy Grammer version, I guess that's not the the, the original, I'm not sure. Yeah, but, I yeah. mean, it, it actually comes from a song which goes back to the 20s. So, yeah, so not the original. I think that the straightforward country style works better with this song. At number 93, Signed, Sealed, and Delivered by James Brown and his Famous Flames. Now, this version and the original work equally well, but they are drastically different. First of all, this is not the Stevie Wonder song, not to be confused with that. Science Heal Delivered, I'm yes. yours. This, yeah, exactly. Different song. So yeah, this was originally by an artist named Cowboy Copas, a country singer. You've got to play the two back to back. It's just incredible. Ow! You know I'm signed. It's a package containing my heart You open it to move the rapper But please don't tear it apart You tore out this heart when you left me Let me alone and so blue I'm sending it special delivery Please handle with care, it's for you He originally recorded it in 1948 and then re-recorded it in 1961 with a bit of a more modern, for that time, style. And that reached number 10 on the country charts. So then, in 63, James Brown and the Famous Flames recorded it. They gave it the James Brown treatment. The begging and pleading vocal here. Exactly. The James Brown trademarks the screaming and all that, but I mean, it's a completely different song. Incredible. Well, the tune is the same. I mean, the melody and everything, but the style is just completely different. Yep. I'll put on my notes, James Brown, the music is on his way to a new, brand new bag. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's along that line. Yep, exactly. Complete reimagining of the song. All right, at number 95, The Matador by Johnny Cash. He's clearly trying to make some more success from the Ring of Fire catalog. The crowd is waiting for the bullfight, Matador. My final fight, the place is packed once more Anita won't throw me a rose this fight The one she wears is not for me tonight I wasn't insane about this, because I did think it was trying to emulate Ring of Fire a little too much. <laughs> I mean, it sounds great and all, but I mean, the horns are, you know, the mariachi horns are right out of Ring of Fire. I, I just didn't feel it really went anywhere. 
I mean, his voice sounds fantastic and all, but, you know, I just didn't really connect to it. Again, I mean, it sounds like we're trashing everything, yeah. and we are trashing a lot of things this month, yeah. but there are some gems among the uh, uh, fertilizer, shall we say. <laughs> <laughs> Out of these things, flowers grow. Yes, indeed. You know, just this was, just wasn't one of the stronger months. Yeah, I think the soul and R&B was really what saved this month's chart. Agreed. Absolutely. All right, at number 97... Here's some fertilizer for you. <laughs> yep. Hurry up and tell me by Paul Anka. What the heck is going on with the instrumentation there? <laughs> is it true they really broke up? Jeff glad to hear that Betty woke up. Didn't take a long to wake up and find out all about that Romeo. What did she ever see in that guy besides his handsome face? Now let me tell you, I'm a happy guy to hear Betty put that Romeo right in his place. Hurry up and tell me, Eddie. Do you think I got a chance with Betty? Just, I was kind of hung up. On the lyrics, too. But yeah, the instrumentation was kind of odd. That's true. It's not a great track. And, you know, Paul Anka, when he's doing his thing, he's all right. But here, he even sounds a little bit disinterested. Yeah. Yeah. I've put, uh, hurry up and tell me to go away and write another Diana. (laughs) It was weird, the shalalas, because, of course, you have to have some shalalas in there in this period. It was weird to have them almost whispering, the backing singers, that sha-la-la, like, what was that? <laughs> I think it's trying to set a romantic mood, and it just doesn't work. It doesn't work. And I have to say, I was kind of laughing during the whole song, and this was also during the time that we talked about in the last episode that my mother was sitting with me while I was listening to some of these songs. You know, they kept mentioning Betty. My mother's name is Betty. And so when he kept singing about Betty, we were just dying laughing the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> no Betty. And all this. It was really funny. Is it true that Betty's not going steady anymore? Definitely not one of his best. Paul Anka can write some great stuff. The Diana Chords are John Lennon and Paul McCartney's favorites, and quite possibly Paul Anka had something to do with the Beatles coming to America, if we believe that. Yes, indeed. Listen to a previous show where we go into that story. Yes, we talk about that. All right, at number 98, Jimmy Rogers with 210618, Doesn't Anybody Know My Name? Important to note, this is not country Jimmy Rogers. I mean, he is country, but this is not as in the country pioneer Jimmy Rogers. This is a pop singer that did indeed sing a number of crossover singles that were country and pop. No relation. Boy, is this a depressing song. Wow. Yeah, Yeah, we also get a bunch of depressing songs here. We have another one which I found awfully depressing as well. Doesn't anybody Know my name Used to be when I could see Everybody wanted me 
now nobody comes to see a blind man catch a train please tell me if you can what time do the trains roll in This one is kind of a storyteller song about a war veteran returning home, find, you know, that everyone has moved on and his family, you know, they've either died or his girlfriend has moved on with another man. And I mean, it just goes on. My gosh, you know, even when he sings, oh, my dog is lame. And like, oh, geez. I mean, it's, it's kind of all those country cliches, you know, it is the whole thing. And then you learn toward the end, he's blind. Good Lord, is it sad. He sings it well. It's not that, but wow, really depressing. Not that all songs I listen to have to be happy. I mean, don't get me wrong, but it's true. It's like all country cliches piled into one song. So originally it was by Rod McEwen, and then I'm guessing that Jimmy probably discovered the song through the more famous Kingston Trio version. Yeah, that's probably right. The Kingston Trio did have a hit with this as well and that would would probably been more well known so okay it's folk as well as country cliches yep that makes sense all right at number 100 any other way by chuck jackson and i love chuck jackson i mean any day now and we've talked about that incredible song before love that definitely not as good but does show what a great singer chuck jackson was what a voice I like the gospel-like ending. Any other just had such a terrific voice this is very much a secular gospel song yeah exactly i mean you absolutely hear it throughout interestingly it was first written and recorded by singer william bell who was an early signing maybe even the first signing to Stax records Stax before it was taken over by atlantic all right so we are on to the final week of october october the 26th at number 80 24 Hours from Tulsa by Gene Pitney. This is a Gene Pitney song. It's as big as you might expect it to be. He definitely likes drama. <laughs> he likes the <laughs> dramatic songs. And this is written by Backrack and David, the story of a traveling man who detours to a romance in a motel and ends up never returning home. 
And the title refers to he's 24 hours from reaching home and kind of in suspense, is he going to return home or not? And uh, Well, there's not, there's not that much suspense. I yeah. mean, this is the song that I was referring to. This is an awfully kind of depressing song. Yes, it is. It's clear that ultimately he's going to leave his current girlfriend. Oh, I was only 24 hours from Tulsa. It's typical Backrack and David, the horns, the dramatic pauses. I think Gene Pitney does a good job on this. I don't know that it necessarily needs to be that big. This is a song that might have been served better by a little Dylan. A little bit more personalization. But I mean, no, the story is like, oh, well, sorry, dear. Our engagement's off. This woman took me to bed last night. I prefer her. <laughs> True. She does things to me that you don't. It's like, oh, Wow. Thank you, Gene Pitney. (laughs) It's a pretty depressing song. That's true. That's interesting. A Dylan treatment of it. That would be interesting to hear. You strip it all the way down to maybe just the guitar or even a small electric combo treatment. Hmm. Good luck to him trying to do the chorus. I was only 24 hours from Tulsa. You've got something really different happening in the chorus. You know, so it's supposed to be in the key of G, but in the chorus, they've got a C sharp in the melody, which shouldn't be in the key of G. It's a trick that George Harrison would do a similar thing. This is going into the weeds a bit, but if you were in the key of G and you were playing any A chord, naturally you'd be playing an A minor because the C is in the G major scale. But instead, in this, you'd be throwing in an A major instead. But that's something that George Harrison would do a lot. And then Paul McCartney's been known to do it as well, that sort of thing, where you'd suddenly throw a chord in and a note that's not quite in key, but it creates that like almost dramatic effect. I mean, Dylan was uh, renowned for constantly bugging George about those naughty chords. This is exactly one of those naughty chords. It really is. Yeah. It's like, how'd you come up with that? <laughs> oh, well, here, Bob. It's George who idolizes Bob, not the other way around. That's right. Yeah. All right. At number 87, another song which we will have a story about, Saturday Night by the New Christy Menstruals. We all get together on Saturday night. Saturday night, we all get together on Saturday night. We'll do things you've never seen. Ain't coming home till 
Again, apologies to new Christy Minstrels fans. This is Walk Right In Part 2. <laughs> yeah, parts of it do sound a bit like that. I also think this is kind of the ultimate hootenanny kind of music. I mean, you can just picture kids on the college campus going to the new Christy Minstrels concerts, sitting around and hearing them and clapping along and singing to this. And I just feel like this is the epitome of that. It's just the ultimate kind of sing-along and, hey, let's all get together and sing. It's, it's just typical of that sound. I thought it sounded like a sitcom theme. I was expecting, like, Andy Griffith and Ron Howard to walk in. <laughs> a little bit, yeah. Now the story which brings us back to the Beatle world. A year from now, on October the 31st, 1964, Cashbox would tell us that the new Christie Minstrels will tour England and the continent for five weeks beginning January 8th. The Folkster's manager, George Greif, journeyed to London recently to make the arrangements and firmed a deal with the Beatles manager, Brian Epstein, for Epstein to introduce the Christies in England. George Greif, there's a name that uh, is familiar to Beatle people. George Harrison was turned on. I heard the Moody Blues it made him hip to what was happening. And so he was really digging Lord Buckley. And so uh, he happened to be in France at a music festival, and he looked at this gentleman and he thought, he walked up to him, he said, you, you remind me of Lord Buckley. And it was George Greif, the famous producer and agent. He says, well, that's funny, I managed him for many years. And so they started this conversation. And in the conversation, he told him about the place we lived on Hyperion, the Cracker Box Palace. Well, George opened up his cigarette pack and he pulled out a piece of paper and he began taking notes where everyone were lords and ladies and everyone came to the Royal Court of Love. And he went home and he wrote a song. And uh, used his name directly in the song. Standing in between them all, I've ever missed a Greif. George uh, Greif was thrilled. Their friendship was uh, memorialized in, in the songs. So there you go. I do find it interesting that George Harrison may have run across Greif earlier, because, I mean, if, if he was there and working with Brian, they probably got introduced. Yeah, so they probably met years before that. There's some wonderful photos of the Beatles and the Christies together. Yeah, really cool. And uh, one, well, <laughs> I don't know if I'd call it unfortunate, but Brian uh, has his arms around two of the young ladies from the new Christie Minstrels. And although he's smiling, boy, does he look uncomfortable. Oh, jeez. Yes. Sorry, Brian. Oh. <laughs> well, I mean, you, know, you can't blame him, but still, it's like, very clearly the photographer said, why don't you come here and put your arms around these two nice young ladies? Yeah. Oh, oh uh, yeah, I'll do that. Yeah. I do find it interesting that Brian set up the tour for the new Christie Minstrels in the U.K., in 1964. Yeah, I didn't know that. All right, at number 92, Since I Fell for You by Lenny Welch, another of Kit's favorites. Oh my God, this is another one where I put yes. <laughs> I love, love this song. And you made me leave my happy home. You took 
Lenny Welch should have been bigger than he was, because what a voice. And this was actually written in 1945 and was originally written by Buddy Johnson and recorded by Buddy Johnson and his orchestra and was also covered by uh, Paul Gaten and his trio in 1947. So it was actually a jazz and pop standard by the time Lenny Welch recorded it, but he had the biggest hit with it, would ultimately reach number four on the chart in December 1963. So we'll be seeing this again. And Lenny Welch, as I said, should have had a much, much bigger career. And what happened was he signed with Cadence Records, and that's what Since I Fell For You was issued on. And everybody thought, oh, he's going to be the next Johnny Mathis. But Shortly after this came out, the record label folded for, and it's, I guess, unknown reasons. Then he was drafted into the Army. So then he finished his two years of service. He then decided, which was probably a big mistake, to take a year off and wanted to continue honing his musical skills and then return to the music scene. But by that time, it was 1964, after... The British invasion had occurred. The pop music scene had completely changed. He was invited to play Vegas and Lake Tahoe clubs, and he didn't want to do it. And that pretty much finished his career. What a shame, because this record, his voice, moves me every time. He just knew how to interpret this song. I mean, he almost sounded like he had a cry in his voice. I just, I love it. I love this record. Other than the Ethan, this is probably the best record from this month on the American charts from an unknown artist or an artist that is less well-known, shall we say. Yeah, I mean, this is a classic. Al Jarreau did a great version of this, too, in the 80s. But nothing can match this, in my opinion. I mean, this was just a perfect vocal. It's a nice rabbit hole to go down. He should have been bigger, but, you know, I guess... You know, just struck with that terrible blow of the record company folding for a big hit like this. Oh, man. Just what a shame. I mean, it shows you what a big role the labels played at this point in time. Absolutely. It was a combination of labels and then just life getting in the way. All right. At number 98, a song I don't like as much, The Scavenger by Dick Dale and the Deltones. First off, is this a ripoff of The Wanderer? Hmm. Particularly when he goes into The Scavenger, it's like, there's The Scavenger. It's like... <laughs> kind that's... of. 426, because it's The Scavenger. Yeah! Yeah, The Scavenger. Yeah! Don't you know it's bad? It's bad. It's bad, bad, bad. Yeah! Come on, yeah, I thought this was a little strange. I mean, first of all, of course, I went into it thinking, okay, another surfing song. Cool. No, it wasn't. It's a car song. <laughs> a car song. <laughs> We've talked about cars and the Beach Boys and that it kind of went together with the surfing thing. Yeah, true. I mean, it wasn't a complete shock, but I guess I always associate Dick Dale with surfing. It's like, okay, it threw me a curveball. That's all right. Yeah, and I didn't really hear as much guitar in this. There's a little bit. Not much. They seem to go in on those motorcycle sound effects. You know, there's lots of vroom, vroom, vroom yeah. going on. I got a 
I want to hear more Dick Dale. <laughs> Where's Dick Dale? There's more Saxon lead vocal and the vroom vroom than Dick Dale's guitar. I didn't really care for this. I missed that great Dick Dale guitar. Even though it's got the motorcycle sound at the beginning, which is actually not a very good sound effect, it's less leader of the pack and more lagging behind. Yeah, very good. <laughs> You're very good at summarizing like that. I like that. This sounds like one of those songs that John Bowser Bauman of Shana Na would sing in the last 10 minutes of an episode of Shana Na. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> Ouch. That's not completely meant as an insult. No, not uh, completely. <laughs> apologies to fans of the half-hour syndicated Sean Anna show from That's the right. 70s. I watched it. We all did. It was the perfect time for it because that was when there was 50s nostalgia. Happy Days was still going on. And I will make a comment about Happy Days before the end of this show. Ooh, okay. Mm. All right. I'm intrigued. Hey. Uh, well, I mean, it's not that big a comment on Happy Days, but... <laughs> So, the last song from the October charts, number 98, A Fine, Fine Boy by Darlene Love, written by Phil Spector, Ellie Greenwich, and Jeff Berry, who we've seen on any number of songs. I mean, Ellie Greenwich, you can't get much better than that. Mm, Absolutely. And it was arranged by our old buddy, (laughs) Jack Nishi, although he is credited here as Jack Sex, S-E-C-S, Nishi. Yeah, I wonder why he was credited with that. But yes, Jack Nietzsche has been turning up a lot. My boy, he's a fine, fine, super fine boy. I love Darlene Love, and of course her voice is great. Wasn't insane about this song. I mean, it's got that classic Phil Spector wall of sound, and I love her voice. Wasn't insane about the song itself. I didn't find it as distinctive. However, found out Bruce Springsteen loves this song so much. He started covering it in concert in 1976, and then in 2009, he performed it with her when he was paying tribute to her. We've been rehearsing with our next guest for the past few days and our singing and our stage presence has been, she's an inspirational joy and she's really blown all our minds. She's the voice of some of Phil Spector's greatest creations and if there's any justice, she's a future member of the Hall of Fame. She's on the ballot this year, so let's get those votes in. She's a one-woman wall of sound the lovely Darlene Love. Bruce really likes this song. 
I agree with you. It's almost a darling love pastiche. Mm-hmm. Her voice is great, but the song is so-so. Yeah, I agree. The Bruce version is better. Mm-hmm. And Bruce and Darlene together is actually, that was probably the first time I heard this song. And I really liked it. When I heard the original, it's like, eh. So, yeah, I've never heard it live, so maybe it sounds better live. I don't know. Martin, what say you? It has similarities to the Do Ron Ron, but it's not yes. quite to that sort of level. All right, so there is side C. We are not going to have a side D, although we think that as we continue and as we get Dozens and dozens of Beatles and Beatles-related songs. We're going to have a side D. Hopefully, we're not going to have to go over to a side E as we move through 1964. But hopefully, we won't be adding more letters to the alphabet, but you never know. No, we don't want to do a triple album here. (laughs) (laughs) My Happy Days comment. In the early days of Happy Days, for whatever reason, Richie and Potsy and Ralph Malf had a band that played at Arnold's. Do you remember this? Yeah, I vaguely remember that. Like the first two seasons, for no apparent reason, they had this band that played at Arnold's. Many of the songs that are on the charts sound like something that they would have put together for an appearance in Happy Days in in the early years. It may have been something written into Anson Williams' contract. Oh, yeah, that's, that's right, because he sang. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, yeah, so Potsy, Potsy was the lead singer. Did Richie play sax? I believe he did, yes. Okay, I, I kind of remember this now. That's right. You know, it, it was an excuse for them to use the Arnold set. It was an excuse for Fonzie to stand around looking much more comfortable than Brian Epstein with his arm around. <laughs> Two or more women. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Ah, the good old days. First off, it's like, why? But second off, it's like, yeah, you know, a lot of these songs just sound like something uh, that they would have said, oh, Anson can sing this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's true. But yeah, the very poppy kind of material. And we heard Johnny Mathis sing Teenage Dream and all. Yeah, I mean, that's like what Potsy would have sang. (laughs) (laughs) Potsy would sing Bossa Nova Baby in a minute. Yeah, right. (laughs) Might do a better version. No, we can't say that. Anson Williams can sing, but he's not a great singer. Fine, well, she touched my hand. What a chill I got. Her lips are like a volcano that's hot. 
I'm proud to say she's my buttercup. I'm in love. I'm all shook up. He's a better director than he is a singer. Yes. Star Trek connection. (laughs) Star Trek connection. That is Side C, and we hope you have stuck around for all three episodes. We know we were a little rough on the charts this month, but we will, of course be looking forward to the next several months and particularly when we get to 1964 we're going to be getting some really interesting uh, songs then but we did find some gems in the november 1963 charts hold on to your hats for more bangers more bangers more bangers are coming that's right Barton. and we will mention that our next cash box episode is going to be january of 1964 for reasons that will become obvious that's right all right See y'all next time. See you next time. Take care. There was a piece in the NME, a news piece, that said the Top Rank Records, remember when Top Rank had a record label? They introduced an LP series next week that will be called Toppermost. And it's coinciding with their current advertising slogan, Toppermost of the Poppermost. Yes, I thought, they got it from somewhere. They saw that, they must have seen that in either the NME or Record Mirror or Disc, Record and Show Mirror as it was then. And they've taken it from there. They've obviously thought, how stupid that is. How stupid is it's one of those phrases that someone, an older person who doesn't understand teenagers, comes up with a slogan that they think is going to be the hip slogan of the month. Toppermost of the poppermost.